stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Obviously, uh, a lot of ground still to cover today. A lot going on today. We got one eye on uh, what's happening nationally with these protests. We'll update that. Got a few other things I want to get to as well. But what do we get in this hour with a conversation around impaired driving law? Now, certainly there's been a lot of focus as of late on some of the changes brought in federally to the criminal code and, and new powers that police have when it comes to um Demanding people provide a breath test, for example. But there's also a conversation to be had around how we administer uh, this law. Now, certainly uh, people remember back, I think, when Alberta went forward with what was described as the .05 changes. Uh, the idea that there would be an option to use uh, administrative approach to dealing with not necessarily technically impaired drivers. We created this, this new class of Somewhat impaired drivers, I suppose you could describe it as. But BC has taken that that administrative approach even further. So situations where someone blows over 0.08 or situations where someone is seen to be refusing to provide a breath sample, there's the option to proceed criminally or to proceed administratively. In what's been described as kind of a decriminalization of impaired driving, it creates a lot of issues, I think, that, that comes along with that. Now, maybe to governments, there's the advantage of easing some of the burden on the courts, but there's some uh, other consequences as well. So BC has, has um, done this now for a few years. It's something that Alberta has had an eye on. It was something that the previous government considered a couple of years ago. And from what we're hearing, it's something that the current government is looking at. So I wanted to explore this uh, in a bit more detail. And joining us to do that, we are pleased to welcome the program uh, in studio with us here today, Greg Dunn. He's a Calgary-based criminal defense attorney. He's with Dunn & Associates and has been following this uh, issue for a few years now. Greg, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. All right, well, let's, let's explain, first of all, the difference here, the difference between criminal versus administrative law, the difference between what BC does and what Alberta does. Uh, help set the table here for us. Okay, sure. So, you know, overall, when we talk about this, this aspect of decriminalization, you're really talking about two main things. You're talking about potentially uh, changing the sanction mm-hmm. for uh, a, a, an impaired driving offense, and more importantly, to defense lawyers especially, you're changing the process from a criminal process to an administrative process. So let's talk about the first one first, which is changing the sanction. So changing the sanction is pretty easy to understand. Essentially, you're going from charging someone criminally for impaired driving to giving them a traffic ticket, essentially, or something akin to a bylaw ticket or something that won't result in a criminal sanction. And so that has its own set of consequences. And obviously to vi- victim advocates uh, and people that have lost loved ones to impaired driving, um, really it does send the wrong message to people to say, hey, driving drunk is no longer a criminal offense. It's now going to be a traffic ticket. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we were like at the, on the Joe Rogan program here and you were feeding me bourbon and we had a, <laughs> we had a, we had a conversation at the end of the show and I said, Rob, um, okay, you know, we're feeling a little tight. We're going to drive home. Now, uh, if would you be more concerned about getting a traffic ticket on the way home, or would you more concerned about potentially being arrested, going to jail, being handcuffed, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. and, and getting a criminal conviction. Yeah. So it it really does uh, have a, a tremendous effect on what we call general deterrence and and undermines general deterrence. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, um, when we look at it as defense lawyers, we're a bit more focused on the process, 
And when you decriminalize impaired driving, what you've done is you have taken the, uh, the process of interaction with the state, which is the police officer, from a criminal sphere, and you've taken it to an administrative sphere. Yeah. So what does that do? Well, I'll give you a couple examples for your listeners because they may say, well, what's the difference? Uh, you know, one's a traffic ticket, one's a criminal offense. How does it change the interaction between you and the police officer? Well, when you're charged under a criminal offense, you have something called the presumption of innocence. Mm-hmm. It's what we call the golden thread that goes through uh, all of criminal law is that you're presumed innocent until proven guilty. So what that means is that uh, the police officer may allege that I've committed an offense, I may have uh, driven drunk, but... I don't suffer any consequences until I'm proven to be guilty in a court of law, right? So that means that the state has to go. we got to go in front of a a judge. they got to marshal evidence, and the burden is beyond a reasonable doubt. This doesn't happen under administrative law. Administrative law, the penalty is meted out at the side of the road by the police officer. Mm -hmm. There's no judge. There's no independent uh, tribunal uh, that looks at it before it happens. So... At the side of the road, the police officer determines if you're drunk. He determines if you're impaired. He determines if your vehicle is going to be seized. He determines if your vehicle is going to be impounded. He determines if you're going to get a uh, uh, financial sanction. And all of that is determined by the police officer you interact at the side of the road. On the spot. On the spot. Now, you know, I mean, in a liberal democracy... I mean, I think it offends everyone's sentiments that a police officer can show up and say, hey, listen, I'm taking your car, I'm taking your vehicle, I'm impounding it. Um, you're now going to get a, a substantial fine. And if you don't like it, you can go to a tribunal and argue with them and try to prove yourself innocent. So, right. what it, yeah, it, so it, there's recourse, but it's after the fact. It, it's flipped yeah. the, the criminal justice system on its head so that you're presumed innocent until proven guilty. So, so what you've really done is you've, really provided the state with a tremendous amount of power mm-hmm. and clothed it with within the police officer who's doing it and, and impaired driving investigation. And from a defense lawyer perspective, it's really problematic and, and it's concerning. And, and from a civil libertarian perspective, the other thing uh, that's concerning to us is from moving it from a criminal perspective to a, uh, an administrative um, uh, process is under criminal law, police officers are subjected to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Right. So the Charter governs the powers of police officers that interact with citizens. And so let's say that a police officer pulls you over because uh, of a certain ethnic persuasion or uh, say you're driving somewhere late at night that he thought, you know, you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you had Ontario plates. You know, which used to happen. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, uh, maybe in this day and age, <laughs> we'll give them a pass on that. But uh, yep. pulling people over for uh, for reasons that they don't have lawful authority, or maybe he slaps you around a little bit. Maybe you get mouthy with, and a police officer gets physical with someone. Under the criminal process, you have remedies, and you have remedies under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and you can seek to have the, the uh, uh, evidence excluded, yep. the case thrown out. You, you can get costs under Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You don't have the same access to Charter Rights under administrative law. There's a general um, – administrative law has what they call charter values that apply to it. But the standard uh, that you have to prove under uh, administrative law is that the officer acted egregiously. 
it's hardly ever proven. It's very difficult I to prove so, yeah. the officer uh, went to that particular level. So what you've done is you've gutted the ability of defense lawyers to protect their clients on the basis of the state overstepping their powers. So it has really two residual effects. One of them is as a defense lawyer, I have a client who something had happened poorly to him at the side of the road or he was pulled over for no particular reason or because uh, of an ethnic persuasion. And I'm unable to defend him now based upon, uh, based upon those particular arguments because, you know, administrative law doesn't afford you that tool in the toolbox. But there's a larger systemic issue. And if you think about it, um, I often say defense lawyers, I say we do two things. We, we protect the, the factually innocent or defend the factually innocent, and we act as a, as a check on state power. Right. And if you know, if you go back to grade school, there's those three levels of government, right? You've got the <laughs> yes, legislative exactly. and the executive, and you've got the judicial. And we are the judicial arm of, of, of the government. And criminal lawyers, by why they do what they do day in and day out, are almost a watchdog mm-hmm. on the power of the state. And if you decriminalize impaired driving... What you've done is you've taken a whole range of interaction between the police and the citizen, and you've said, hey, the charter doesn't apply. <clears throat> Don't worry about uh, adhering to uh, uh, you know, proper grounds of stopping, proper grounds of search and seizure, proper grounds of arrest. It's a free-for-all. It, you're only getting a ticket. Don't worry about it. And so from a defense lawyer perspective, it's almost like the perfect storm uh, in which police officers are now given basically a blank check to act how they want to act uh, without any sort of judicial oversight. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, that that's a good explanation of it. So th- this is more or less how it works in B.C. Now, let's talk about Alberta because a couple of years ago, I think this was 2018, uh, this was being studied by the uh, government of the day. They eventually opted against making these changes, but we we do understand from what we've been hearing, this is something being looked at now. So from government's perspective, I mean, is this just about trying to save money in the legal system? Is it about the potential revenue from from writing tickets and impounding vehicles instead of prosecuting cases? Why why would they look at this? Right. So, I mean, ultimately, uh, the push for decriminalization has come from, I would say, the um, the policy advisors at in in the Justice Department, you know, uh, provincially, it's not necessarily the line crowns, and it's not necessarily the politicians, because the um, the let's call them the bureaucrats, the justice bureaucrats that want to put this policy into effect, have tried to do so probably over the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. and it's been resisted by from a number of PC um, governments, and was was ultimately not instituted by the NDP, but. It is due to a myriad of reasons. One of them, of course, and the main one, is cost. Every time you litigate, it's expensive. Sure. I mean, I run a trial, I need a judge, and they're not cheap. I need a prosecutor. They're, le- they're cheaper than a judge, but still probably right. not that cheap. And defense lawyers are not cheap at all. Right. So there's a lot of money that is invested in terms of running these things through the courts. You also need police officers to show up. You need, uh, you know, you need to pay the gas bill and the lights for the courthouse. So it's extremely expensive. The other thing is that there was some studies that were done, um, and, I, and I had the report, but there was some studies that were done in terms of revenue that was generated under the BC model. And one statistician said that there was up to $300 million of revenue 
that they got in for these, what they call IRPs, which are, uh, you know, basically roadside yeah, suspensions. It's immediate roadside prohibition. Prohibitions. Right? Yeah. So there's a ton of money that they're collecting because what they do is they say, okay, look, we're going to we're going to not charge you with impaired, but we're going to take your vehicle. You're going to have an impound fee. You got to pay have for that. You got to take a course too, apparently. You got to take think, a course right? and pay a fine, a reinstatement fee, yeah. and all these fees they're collecting huge amounts of money. Yeah. So at this juncture for this government, you know, with with a focus on uh, being fiscally responsible, which they should be, and and I mean. Obviously, no one's taken issue with the fact that a government needs to be fiscally responsible, but it's a really uh, attractive option when you look at saying, hey, listen, not only are we going to save resources, we're going to save prosecutors, we're going to save judges, but we're going to have a real cash cow here. We're yeah. going to get millions of dollars uh, of money in. And, um, you know, ultimately, though, the question is, is, is it worth it in terms of, you know, the safety and lives of Albertans on one on one you know, on one thong and on the other thong, whether it's worth the abrogation of civil liberties of the citizens of Alberta. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, nationally, right across the country, uh, rates of impaired driving, impaired driving related crashes, fatalities, they're all down. So it, it can be challenging to go in and say, well, just this jurisdiction deals with it this way. This jurisdiction deals with it that way. I mean, I don't know. Can we make any conclusions about whether this works or whether BC has, has had any success from this? Well, the problem with BC is they won't release the raw data. So the Justice Department in BC will release their conclusions and their numbers, but yeah. they won't release the raw data that under that underlie those conclusions and data. So we're unable really to take a look at to see whether it's working. Um, impaired driving, as you said, is down across the country, uh, across the country. It's mm -hmm. down in Alberta, it's down in BC. Uh, it's it's down in, in, in all the other provinces. Impaired uh, driving deaths are down. Now, the the question is why? Mm -hmm. Now, is it due to BC implementing this this uh, this new administrative system? Probably not. It, the, it looks like the statistics say that impaired driving deaths are down largely to innovations in vehicle safety. Mm -hmm. If you look at the graphs, uh, the addition of... Um, Airbags for the uh, on the side of the doors, side mm -hmm. airbags, have really caused a drop, a precipitous drop in terms of impaired driving deaths. Um, so, without in more information, I I can't certainly say that um, there's any sort of degree of uh, reference between the BC model, the administrative model, and saving people's lives. Other than it, it does create a revenue stream. Yeah, uh, and and where this is at, I mean, it sounds as though this is back. Within the Department of Justice, being discussed, being considered, uh, and maybe at some point the justice minister will have something to say. Obviously, they'll have to make a decision at some point. But, I mean, that's why it's important to talk about these issues now and, and not after the fact, right? So people understand what's what's at stake here. Well, you know, we've, we've, we've reached out to uh, Minister Schweitzer with respect to the issue. We haven't heard back, but we're hopeful that we will and we'll be able to, um, you know, uh, have a meeting with him to mm -hmm. discuss some of the other issues you know, the other issues and the other perspectives on decriminalizing it. I mean, I think, you know, if you get often, um, if, you know, you get a relatively new minister and he's listening to one set of drums and that set of drums are going to be, you know, the guys in his department and, uh, you know, the guys that are advising him from the Department of Justice. But I think it's important to talk to all stakeholders, to talk to defense lawyers, uh, to talk to victim advocates and to talk to uh, to police officers as well to see whether you know such a move is is um, is 
you know, in the direction that we want to go. All right. Well, a lot of uh, important information for people to keep in mind, because I think we're going to be hearing more about this. Uh, more at dunnandassociates.ca. Greg Dunn, thank you so much for coming in here today. Really appreciate this. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. All right. That is uh, Calgary-based criminal defense attorney Greg Dunn uh, with Dunn & Associates. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.